to the Thought Lounge podcast and to the third episode of this Thought Lounge session series. Presenting the topic today is actress Sarah Brazier on the 2016 presidential election. And in the conversation are Antonio Montalban, Clark Kellogg, Michael Rainey, and myself. For a bio of each guest, you can listen to the first episode of this series. Enjoy! So I'm from Ohio originally, and I went to college in Kentucky, and then I lived in Iowa, and then I lived in San Antonio, Texas. So um, my experience growing up, I was homeschooled until fifth grade. I'm the middle of seven children, and my parents were raised Southern Baptist in Washington, D.C. My parents are also really smart people, and uh, they're really hardworking people. My dad um, was a major in the Marine Corps. He has a degree in physics and works in sales, but before he went to college, he took a couple of years off and um, roofed houses and worked on farms in Kansas. So uh, he has a really strong connection with the blue collar and working class people as his main clients. It's just people, people he spends a lot of time with. And I grew up in a really small town, uh, it's a population 20,000 people, which for some people is small, but if you go to Iowa, everyone's like, oh, wow, that's a big town, you know? <laughs> so um, so I, I understand, I think, I, I understand why my dad voted for Trump, and it has nothing to do with Trump being Trump. Um, as a Christian, he was really motivated because um, he didn't want to see, he, he was really disgusted with the Clintons and like, he, oh my God, he really did not like the Clintons. <laughs> uh, and I was just a little kid when um, they were in the White House, um, but he really, he could not bring himself to possibly like them and he didn't like Trump and he thought that Trump's language was really disgusting. Um, but he, and I think a lot of people like him in the Rust Belt, um, their mentality was we just have to hold our nose and vote because we can't have another four years of Obama. Um, and the mentality was, I think, for a lot of people in the Rust Belt who come from these blue-collar, middle-class working families, is they were promised a lot of things um, uh, by Obama. And um, Obamacare didn't provide for them what they thought it would. Um, and they feel really disenfranchised and they feel like the liberal elite is blaming them for things that um, they feel like they didn't do. Uh, racism is um, systematic, but um, when the liberal elite talk about white men or white people, um, they identify with that language differently than the way we in this room think about it. Um, and I think there was just a lot of hate for the system and they just wanted it to go away because they think that government is broken. Um, so that's been on my mind. And then the other thing that's on my mind is um, I'm an actor, one, but I also work at a church. I'm an administrative coordinator. So um, I live with my brother and his family is very religious. And um, we had all of these people over at our house last night for a prayer meeting um, to talk about what's happening. And the big question that came up is, what is the role of the church? Um, because I think there's a good chunk of people on um, 
the left who feel like part of this is the church's fault, um, that, that there's a lot of Christians who voted for Trump. And I think there are a decent amount of Christians that voted for Trump. And so like, wh- where do we reconcile um, these ideas? And uh, for me, there's a lot of, like right now in the room, we're asking a lot of why, but my uh, personality type is a what now? What is my actionable item? What do I need to do to make the individuals who now feel disenfranchised and now feel unvalued and frankly scared? What do I do as both um, a Christian and as both um, just a member of this society and as a citizen to ensure that everyone feels like their voice is still valuable? And how do I dig into my community and do that? So that's, that's my question I'm now laying on the table. Sarah, I'm also a member of a church. It happens to be a tree-hugging, crunchy, lefty, Berkeley church. But the same questions are in the room this morning, where I was before I came here. What is the role of the church? How might we reconcile? And those are questions that have been on everyone's mind for years, but certainly much more right now. And the spirit of the place is more akin to a sucker punch than it is to um, reconciliation right now. But I resonate with your framing in those questions. Uh, And it's weird to be a member of a church in general. But even weirder, in my experience, in Berkeley to be a member of a church, particularly one that cuts across the grain of what most of us think that means. So I just want to say that I resonate with those questions, and um, I think they frame in yet another dimension of how we're all so confused around what's happening in our country right now. I'm wondering, I've heard the word like blame used a couple times, like the, you know, the people, white people are like, that don't understand the way that certain things are being like placed on, I don't know, the white man as being sort of like his fault in social justice issues. Or I don't exactly know what you were referring to when you're saying like. Well, I'm that. saying um, when we sit down and we talk about uh, poverty or um, uh, gaps in education, we think a lot about uh, that in terms of minorities. Minorities are disenfranchised, minorities suffer um, uh, you know, like for instance, the other day I got pulled over by a cop. Now, I, I'm cute and white and 25 and a girl, so I didn't have any problems. Mm-hmm. But um, if, uh, if that same, same circumstance happened um, and I was a middle-aged black man, um, that could have been a really different scenario. So I, I understand that that's, that is systematic racism, right? And that... Um, that proliferates, that can proliferate interactions. But um, uh, when I lived in Texas, I knew this guy, he was a mechanic, he was really hardworking, he was in the military, he never finished high school, and um, he, was a, he, he would tell me point blank that racism didn't exist, and that he struggled just as much as those black people are struggling. But we know that statistically, the likelihood of 
different situations happening to him, he may have the benefit because he is white and male. But for him, his experience, it, it, that, that doesn't play into his experience, right? And so it's like he's being yelled at, but he's like, no, man, I'm hurting just as much. So I don't, I don't get why this is about race, and I don't get why you're saying that I'm racist because I'm white and a dude. Does that make sense? Yeah, so I think you just illustrated the difference between um, people who feel like they are to blame because they're white and people who are looking at it as like, yeah, it's a social oppression. But also I think that you brought it up with like being a member of the church that, um, you know, and even using words like, you know, we have to reconcile ourselves. Like we're already being the ones scapegoated. That's how like you, you, people from the church might feel um, for all these bad things. Um, so I was sort of like wondering one, like, who else feels like they're taking the blame in America and are maybe retaliating by doing things like voting for somebody who tells them that it's not their fault. Um, and, um, you know, like, like Trump, if, if you're, yeah, that's obvious. Um, and yeah, I, I guess, yeah. So who else is, feels like they're taking the blame is sort of what I was thinking about. I think part of the problem that we sometimes fall into is, especially after a tight election, we want to find that one thing, that easy answer. And clearly, these are vastly correlated social issues, and things are correlated. Even race are, is correlated. I mean, it's certainly true if you look at the exit polls that whiteness was hugely associated with voting for Trump, uh, and a little bit gender also, but whiteness was a big part of it. But that doesn't mean that every white person voted for Trump. It doesn't mean that sort of saying that every white person is a racist just because occasionally you see that kind of behavior. And I grew up dirt poor, and I can relate to a lot of Trump voters. My dad was blown up in World War II. He fought in Patton's army, had shrapnel in his back the rest of his life. Um, I'm not even that liberal as a Berkeley professor. If, if I do the NPR quiz, I'm sort of like just over toward black Protestant, you know, uh, not, not that far from the center. But I think certainly it's true that demographically something is changing, and this may be the last gasp for for you know, white victories. And indeed, you know, Hillary's gonna win by like two million votes in the popular vote. But I think part of the difficulty is that the way we discuss the other is really polarizing. And you saw a hint of that in um, Hillary's comments about uh, that half of Trump supporters, she had generalized, uh, gross generalized as being in this basket of deplorables. Now, that was really not great. But other people have made just uh, the similar sorts of things. I mean, you know, you could do a litany of the things that Trump said. Amid Romney, when he referred to the 47%, made the same error, but on the other side. And even Obama, when he was secretly taped, uh, referred to one particular small group as clinging to their guns and religion. And that, you know, sort of blew up. It, it wasn't fatal for his candidacy, but it really hurt Romney and it's hurt Clinton. And But that temptation to to do that generalization against the other is really problematic in our society. And about the, um, the, the, the racism, is, it probably has a different meaning of what it means to be racist uh, here and on the countryside. Like, it has had a different meaning now and 20 years ago. I mean, definitely 50 years ago, it's completely different meaning. But the land, like, I mean, like now is this, this language of being politically correct, so if you say something that is a, a bit off, that sounds quite racist for us. 
Why not? But it's just a normal way of speaking. Like it used to be like 20 years here, or like, like it is in South America. Like people just talk in this way, and nobody feels they're racist. So, so it is that I, I think that there is something of that of the liberals kind of putting the blame for the type of language. Like for, I guess for us, like if you support somebody who has this language, like Trump, there is something racist on that. It's hard to like think that there isn't. But maybe we're, like it's a different perspective that we're not fully seeing, no? Mm-hmm. That we would like to change. <laughs> but like, we're not there yet. That was Antonio Montalban, Sarah Brazier, Clark Kellogg, Michael Rainey, and myself on the 2016 presidential election. Presenting the topic today was actress Sarah Brazier. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thought Lounge podcast. Our mission is to foster the practice of intentional in-person dialogue within ourselves and our communities, in which we suspend initial judgment, practice equity of voice, listen to each person as if they're the most important person in the world, speak authentically, and recognize that creative conflict is good. For more information, visit thoughtlounge.org. And until next time, good thinking always.